Welcome to the Black Art Matters Podcast, also known as BAMcast, featuring Darius Colquitt and Robert Lee Williams III. Hello, 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 and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another rousing rendition of the Black Art Matters podcast, also known as BAMcast. How you doing, Robbie? I'm okay. You know that we've been kind of fighting life, uh, <laughs> good things, bad things, all things, mm-hmm. um, but just kind of things in general. So just kind of glad to get back on the back on the horse, back in the saddle. Yeah. How about yourself? How are you holding up? Ah, uh, hey, you know, um, I'm holding, and that's better than letting go. <laughs> just gonna put it that way and leave that where it is. Because um, <laughs> yes, as you said, we have been fighting extra, extra hard and trying to take care of life and all of its foibles and all of its crazy difficulties but here we are we're back i know y'all like where you been we here though (laughs) don't 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 question the past live in the now um (laughs) so here we are uh Mm -hmm. with another bam cast and um this one is gonna be slightly different from our previous episodes in that we aren't coming at you with a specific historic event related to specifically the black experience. Mm-hmm. This episode is going to be more geared towards an event that relates to all experiences, but also relates directly to the benefactor of why this podcast exists. And that's BAM talent. Mm-hmm. So you guys have heard us mention BAM talent in the promo in the outro, in all of the written descriptions of the podcast. And I know some people are following BAMcast, but are not following BAM talent. We're watching you. We're watching. We see what's going on. Don't don't (laughs) think that we don't know, because we know the things. We know Mm -hmm. all the things. But (laughs) the reason we're doing this episode today is to jump into some really important information that we feel like is necessary to share as we are only conduits for the support of the bigger picture, which is the overall success and continuation of BAM talent. Mm -hmm. BAMcast is very important in what it does because we definitely highlight some individuals within history and within the culture itself that a lot of people are not as keenly aware of or are not as well connected to. Mm -hmm. But again, it's all for a higher purpose and that is BAM talent. Mm -hmm. So to give you a little background on what BAM talent is, I'll just throw this at you real quick. You know, the the fact sheet, because, you know, every company has a good fact sheet. (laughs) So um, BAM Talent, founded in 2021 by yours truly, Darius Colquitt, Mm -hmm. and uh, my development director, Emily or MC Cepriano, was created in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now, BAM, as you know, stands for Black Art Matters. It stands for Black Art Matters in BAM Talent, and it stands mm-hmm. for Black Art Matters here as well in BAM Cast. 
But BAM Talent is a nonprofit theater training ground with a mission to enrich, inspire, and enable black and underrepresented voices through professional level theatrical training and production works. Now, what does that mean? That means that we want to A, teach something to some individuals, B, give them some kind of enlightenment that they wouldn't have had walking in the door, mm-hmm. and C, show them what the tools are and teach them the tools of this trade to be able to carry forth within it. And mm-hmm. of course, as you've heard, we are focused on working with individuals who identify as black or an underrepresented voice. So that is by all means the BIPOC community. Mm-hmm. And we're deeply involved and we're deeply driven to do this work because of many different things. First off, when you look at music, theater, art, just in general, the any artistry you really look at, you're not seeing a proper representation of people of color. That just doesn't exist as it should. Not saying it doesn't exist at all, because there are many who have done great works and we applaud them and we celebrate them at all times. But there's not an even playing field. And we all know that this is true. Case in point, the reason that Bam Talent even came into existence, and I think I've told you this story, Robbie. Mm-hmm. I was sitting down with MC and I asked her a question and I said, uh, M, how many uh, black technical artists do you know of? And she was like, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> when we thought about the West Michigan diaspora and technical or technicians um, of color, Mm-hmm. There are no lighting designers. There are no. There are maybe a limited number of costumers, one or two. Um, there are no sound technicians. There are no um, set designers. None of these things exist within black or underrepresented hands, and mm-hmm. that in itself was enough for me to feel some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And being one of the three black directors that I know in West Michigan, I knew it was something that not only we as a community needed to start thinking about, but I as the artist that I claim to be and coming from the people that I claim to represent knew was a necessary move. Mm-hmm. So we approached this idea in June. We talked about what it meant to be a black artist or a BIPOC artist in West Michigan and what was needed most. And it wasn't another theater class. It wasn't another acting class because there are tons of acting classes. There are tons of experiences where you can go and read a script and be taught what blocking means and the history of theater. And all of that is here. Mm -hmm. But to approach someone and say, hey, here's how a light board works. Mm -hmm. Here's what it means to run crew. If we're in the middle of a show and something gets ripped on a costume, here are the tools that you would need to mend XYZ. Like those things are not in existence here. And knowing the importance of what they mean to production, as well as knowing that no people of color hold those positions, it only made sense that we start to focus within that direction. So thus, BAM Talent was born and It has been a very exciting ride since June. Upon the announcement, we did a Juneteenth celebration, which you can go watch for free on the website, Mm bamtalent.org. It featured artists from the West Michigan area. 
as well as individuals who identify as advisory board members for BAM Talent. And we got some good advisory board members, y'all. <laughs> Look, um, we sure, we got top brass around here, okay? <laughs> um, people by the name of Nora Brooks Blakely, the mm-hmm. daughter of Gwendolyn Brooks, who you've heard us mention <laughs> several times. In fact, she read in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Donica Lynn, a amazing actress and yep. vocalist who was signed with many a record label, has toured many a country, has mm-hmm. sung background for Mariah Carey and Natalie Cole and Aretha Franklin, mm-hmm. has been voted Chicagoan of the Year by the Chicago <laughs> Tribune. Um, I mean, I could go on and on, but I just call her Auntie Donnie because it's easier <laughs> that way. And not just that, but I mean, our our, our reach stretches all the way to Broadway, with people like Darius DeHaas, um, another Chicagoan who has definitely, definitely made his own personal strides up and down the Great White Way yeah. as a part of our um, advisory board. Like, I, I can't even express in words how I feel having all of these amazing individuals who know so much about art and Black culture and our society, who have done the work, who know what is required to have them as advisors is mm-hmm. absolutely outstanding. But we also got some other folks around here that advise us too. Um, uh, case in point, uh, the other guy who ain't talking right now, <laughs> he is also an advisor. Um, and, and, and he's an advisor for many different reasons um, because A, there needs to be a balance in who we have on the advisory board, whose mm-hmm. thoughts and whose, you know, brain power really goes into making this machine run as a successfully weld oiled machine um but also his perspective as someone who is disabled and who can speak from that perspective to let us know hey you're doing this right but you need to look at this in a very different lens all of those things are crucially important especially when it comes to being a group that says they speak not only for black people but for underrepresented people mm-hmm. i am elated and and always emotional when i think about the individuals who are involved with bam talent and who have given their time and at times their money and at times you know just a, a, an important word not just for me, but for the individuals involved to continue to build this organization up and, you know, push it forward because Mm -hmm. we don't have pipe dreams around here. (laughs) We don't have pipe dreams. We have, we have a whole lot of initiatives that we are pushing forward on and excited to push into reality. And, um, we haven't made a false step yet in my opinion, and I'm excited for what's coming. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's BAM Talent. That's, you know, that's, that's the, the rundown um, as, you know, as, as quickly and as easily as I can put it without going into really, really deep, you know, um, uh, <laughs> stuff there. I'm sorry if y'all heard that fan and it is hot in this room and I had to fan just a little bit. So if you heard that on the mic, I'm sorry. Um, but that's BAM Talent and... Mm-hmm. BAMcast is a product of the support system of BAM Talent. It yep. is produced through uh, my organization, Darius Colquitt and Company, but it is specifically designed and created to ensure that the word is going out about Black excellence and that anything that 
we can do as contributors to BAM talent, we are doing. Mm-hmm. So when we get to the point where we are being sponsored, because that's coming soon, I'm just speaking that into existence, <laughs> any sponsorship monies, anything that we make in that realm is going straight back into the company. Yep. That's why BAMcast is here, to, 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 to be another line and another leg of support for the good works that all of us are doing over at BAM Talent. Yeah. And that, that goes back to um, something we said back in episode one about how representation matters. Yes. So just like how you're talking about that we need more black people in tech for theater, we need more seamsters, seamstresses, lighting technicians, stage management, things like that, just other roles that aren't as fulfilled. The, the big part of why you and I have talked about BAMcast just starting it and getting it out there is get that representation in front of people, show people that we're out here, we're making moves, we're doing other things and that we can be so much more than what you might just see on, on like a television in the nineties or hear about in like in in an old play from the Mm thirties. We're here to continue the conversation and show that there's no stopping. It's still going, it's still Mm -hmm. growing. uh, And that every person who's a part of this movement matters. Absolutely. And, and, and as we've stated in previous episodes as well, a great deal of the work that we do as BAM talent kind of models what the black arts movement was created for. Now, those of you that have followed us the last few episodes know that that has been our subject for Mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks. We've been talking specifically about the black arts movement and what it meant for um, the time that it existed and what it means today. Mm -hmm. Because of it, there have been so many great strides made within the arts. We've, of course, talked about uh, the work of Amiri Baraka, Mm -hmm. and we've talked about Larry Nance. and Neil. Neil. Jeez. (laughs) You know why I said that? I have a friend named Larry Nance. Yeah. And it's been hard for me not to say Larry Nance every time we talk about Larry Neal. Um, but that's why you're here to correct me when I'm wrong. So thank you. <laughs> um, but yes, um, as we've talked about, um, Baraka and, um, Neil, it, it trickles down from them creating this movement into so many other individuals that we will be working very, very hard to bring you the information on and about. We've already mentioned several of them, um, mm-hmm. from Nikki, Nikki Giovanni, to uh, Maya Angelou, mm-hmm. of course, the great and powerful James Baldwin, <laughs> who might like, as well be the Wizard of Oz for Robbie, because no, he's more like Glinda. He's more like Glinda for you. You know, he's just always on your shoulder, singing in a little. Ditty. I'm telling you, I was in a conversation with my sister the other day, and I open up a browser to do a Google search. First thing I see is James Baldwin right there, front and center. Oh, oh my God! Wait, Robbie, I yep. forgot to say this. Okay. So you know how James Baldwin's been haunting you, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay. I did this production, y'all. It's this production called Community. It's just a, it was just a huge, a, a huge concert. People got to pick their own works pick and um, share it with the community based on their experiences. And, you know, just do some real good to- storytelling, um, talking about what it means to be in a community. So our director, Marcus, decided... He wanted to give out quotes and these quotes are what he says are quotes that he thinks about when he thinks about each and every one of us in the production. Robbie, 
Who do you think my quote was by? <laughs> was it James Baldwin? <clears throat> not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. James Baldwin. <sighs> Apparently, when he thinks about me, that's the quote that he thinks of. <laughs> so, apparent it, it it seems to me, said Booker T, that not only is James following you now, but he, he has now found his way through the internet, across state lines even, mm-hmm. to follow me around. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I meant to tell you about this a few days ago, but it was, it was just sitting there. It was sitting there. I was like, I'll get to it eventually. The man I, is unstoppable even he, in death. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And... Um, he, like so many others who were a part of this movement, mm-hmm. are vitally important individuals when it comes to the development of black art and mm-hmm. culture and society from the era that they were, you know, kicking and screaming and knocking doors down and doing the things that they were doing in order for us to even be able to spout statements like Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. or for that matter, Black Art Matters. Mm-hmm. So we will be coming back to them and we will yep. be talking about all of those things because, look, that's a deep dive that nobody can escape. Once you've started it, you just got to keep the trickle down effect going. You go from here to there to everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we will be going everywhere that we possibly can. Um, but today we felt like, OK, we're going to take a step back. Yep. We'll allow you to breathe. We'll allow you the time to, you know, do research of your own. And keep looking deeper into the people we've already told you about. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, did you get that link that I sent you, Robbie? Let's see. Talking about black history? Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all have come across this yet, but there is a, uh, there's a picture on Facebook that's been floating around. Well, social media in general that's been floating around. And it's a link that's written on the back of a van that's on the highway. And... <laughs> You know, usually when you see a link, it's like, I don't know, I want to crack this link open because, you know, it might be some 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 freeware or something. Oh, they're not freeware. Um, some, uh, some malware. Some malware. That's the word I'm looking for. To see, keep, keep me on track when I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> it might be some malware or something that's going to tell your computer apart, you know, you fa- end, end up getting your computer locked down and then you got to pay a ransom to get all your information back. You know, a lot of people don't want to go through that. So they avoid stuff like this. But I saw the link and every black person I saw was like, click it. You have to click it. If you don't click it, you're doing yourself a disservice. So I'm like, uh, okay. And it took me a couple of tries because apparently everybody is accessing this resource. But you click the link. It is a Google Drive that is full. Filled. (laughs) Filled to the brim of gigs and gigs, terabytes even, of mm-hmm. black history content and we're not talking about your little fly by night Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks Mm-mm. I heard about this in elementary school kind of content oh mm-hmm. no we're talking about the deep dives we're talking about the individuals that we've been mentioning in some of our previous episodes the whole organization of SNCC the workings of James Baldwin um, the, the, the the works of really like i said everybody we've mentioned at this point 
mm-hmm. and what they mean to the development of us as a society. And when I f- saw this resource, it was hard for me to not start crying because you don't see this amount of information just, you know, out of nowhere. And I mean, we're talking like audiobooks and mm-hmm. ebooks and videos and documentaries and just loads upon loads upon loads of information, man. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I feel compelled to share that. So we'll probably share it on social media so that you have the link yourself. But I'm gonna let you know now. It's hard to get in. You don't have to keep clicking it a couple of times to actually get into the drive because everybody's trying to access it now. <laughs> so, yeah, don't, don't say we didn't tell you that there's that there's black history out here for you to check into. Don't don't say we did. When we said mm-hmm. there's research. Oh, there's research. I'm I'm, 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 I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you better than I can tell you because I'm putting this link up mm-hmm. so you can do your own personal work. So, yes, I talked about all that just to say that at the end of the day, our history as African-Americans, as they've called us, but I say black people, (laughs) is illustrious and beautiful and deep and thought-provoking and well-avoided, but well worth the time of getting to know it. The more they bury it, the more it's necessary for it to be heard. So I will share that link later, but in the spirit of the Black Arts Movement and what black history means to us as individuals we had to start bamcast mm-hmm. and um highlight not just the journey of all of these individuals but also the journey that bam talent is taking in order to highlight great works by artists today mm-hmm. so one of our first productions is getting ready to occur it is happening in commemoration of the September 11th tragedy yeah. As we all know, and some of you may not, because I said it to some people and they were like, damn, it's been that long. Mm-hmm. This year is the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks. And yeah. it's definitely to reword a quote by uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, a day mm-hmm. that will live in infamy. I don't know one person that I'm close to. You know, even folks that I'm not close to. Uh, I don't know anybody who was alive during that time that cannot tell you exactly where they were when mm-hmm. the towers fell. Um, yeah, I remember where I was. Um, and actually, funny enough, you've heard this monologue, Robbie, because it's it's part of one of the monologues in the show. Mm-hmm. We have a character who's a kid by the name of Alex, and his monologue covers my experience as well as the experience of all of my close friends during the time of September 11th. And I remember vividly, I was walking down the hall at high school. I was going to uh, Lincoln Park High School on the north side of Chicago. And I got to school and I got through my first period. I actually made it on time. I always missed art, but I made it that day. And I was heading (laughs) to second period. And one of my friends stopped me in the hallway and said, dude, the twin towers blew up. And Mm -hmm. I thought he was joking because he's a freaking comedian. That's just who he is. (laughs) He makes random jokes that at some times just don't make sense until you see him later in the day and he gives you the punchline. So it was like, okay, um, we'll see what he lands with today. And then I walk into my creative writing class, my second period. And sure enough, they have rolled in the TV. Y'all remember the TV on the cart? Mm -hmm. With, with the VCR, yep. 
that you, you, will, you will watch a random movie on in the middle of the day because your teacher didn't feel like doing anything. <laughs> An eyewitness. Right, exactly. The, 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 the joy of birth. No, it's not a joy. Don't watch it. Um, <laughs> but the cart was in the room and the, uh, the, the television was tuned to ABC7 in Chicago. And we were watching the attack as it was happening. The first tower had been hit. The second one had not been hit yet. We just seen the first one. And we were getting word constantly throughout the day of what they wanted to do, whether or not they wanted to evacuate the school, whether or not they were letting students go home. Some parents did come mm -hmm. get their kids. I mean, because something like that happens in New York City and you stay in the second city, which is Chicago, you don't know what's going to happen next. Yep. So, yeah, it was it, it was a very, very rough and rugged time for all of us all of us in general mm -hmm. but that that in itself that that like that was my take at that moment and mm -hmm. being a theater kid and a writer because at that point i had written a few things um nothing had ever been published no i'm lying a poem had been published but nothing beyond that <laughs> i knew there was I, I knew there was something more from this something that needed to happen and at that moment, I took it upon myself. And Robbie, you've heard me say this about several things. Um, I said mm -hmm. to myself, I need to write this down. Yeah, I need to start writing this because if I don't start writing this, nobody else is going to. And it's not going to, you know, it's not going to exist in the world. Somebody has to write this. So I took the next year and a half, two years, and I took two of my friends and we got together. We started talking about it and saying, OK, well, what what do we do? And yeah, we just started writing and then we said, okay, well, well, we can't just go off our words. Our words aren't enough. And then we started talking to mm -hmm. other people and those talks became interviews. And then those interviews went from like 10 to like 50 to like a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> we got to 66 and said, okay, we're, 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 we're really getting out here. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I said, okay, um, um, so do we want to do like a nice round number, stop at 70? And they were like, no, 70 sounds weird. And we took it all the way to 100. So we, we talked to like 100 different individuals. And some people just had a statement because, no, not everybody wants to talk about things like this. Yeah. But there were a lot of people who were willing to outpour, really willing to share what it was that they were experiencing the moment that it happened, the day that it happened and what they had done that day and who they spoke to. Um, and some of these were individuals who were there on the scene and some of these were people who were a distance away but were still affected nonetheless from the events in some way. And um, at that moment it was like, okay, we have something here. And I don't mm -hmm. know if it's gonna mean anything to anybody, but we are gonna go ahead and put this together. And mm -hmm. from those hundred interviews, we said, okay, we cannot do everybody. They said, okay, well, we can combine mm -hmm. stories and kind of weave them into their own singular something. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. So how did y'all find all of these people? Because that, that's something I was wondering about going through the script. Okay. All right. So this was during a time that was pre-internet. Um, pre this was before all the good Googles. And, all, and, and I, think, I think we may have had Yahoo Mail by then. I think that existed. <laughs> um, 
and we had Ask Jeeves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you remember Ask Jeeves. I know you remember that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and a good old Kazahi in there. Um, but <laughs> um, th- this was definitely during a time where it was, you know, newspapers and letters and phone calls and all of those things. Um, the internet was not as ex- ex- not as accessible as it is today. We're talking 2002. Mm-hmm. So um, the individuals that I pulled for this, they were they were older than me. They were outside of high school at this point, and because they had more adult time, mm-hmm. and I was kind of just the one with the vision. They were like, okay, well, let's pick some days, get together, write out some emails to, you know, different places. We can play some articles in newspapers. We can do the classified thing. We can make phone calls. Um, a co- uh, the, the two people I was working with, they are theater folks. So mm-hmm. they had folks that lived in New York that they could call up and say, hey, um, do you know anybody that was close by? Do you know anybody that was... XYZ ABC, you know, they they knew how to get the word out, essentially. And essentially I left it to them. Um because I was like, um, I just hope I can write this damn story. But if it wasn't for the two of them, um, who told me that they wanted to remain nameless mm-hmm. and they were like, this is this was your brainchild. We are just, you know, cogs in your wheel. Let's work it out. Um and I commend them for their works and I appreciate them deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if it hadn't been for them reaching out and doing the work that they did, there wouldn't be half as many stories that are included as there are. So yes, um, emails and phone calls and classified ads and just a, a, a litany of lucky occurrences and strings of events that just fell into our laps Mm -hmm. and i think back about all of this and like now talking about it it just it sounds weird and contrived and you know just out there like (laughs) how did this happen uh and even while it was happening i was very much like how the fuck is happening (laughs) how have we gotten to 45 how have we gotten to 55 Mm -hmm. how have we gotten you know, it it was one of the most exhilarating experiences that I've ever been through when it came to creating something outside of myself. Mm-hmm. At that point, I had written a couple of different, you know, short plays, mm-hmm. but this was the first thing that was like impacting to me in a way that was beyond, you know, just me having this experience that I wanted to put on paper. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, you know, you know a lot of my art, Robbie. Typically, yep. when I write stuff, it's it's rooted in the experience of what I've been through. Yep. You know, it's very, it's always very personal, always very direct and telling in that way. But this was, it was bigger than me. Mm-hmm. It was bigger than me, and you know me, I'm always trying to look for something that means more to other people mm-hmm. than me. I, I I wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. grasp oh. the con- quick sidebar. Conscious. Go ahead for the uh, for the listeners. Uh, if we can convince Darius to re- remount his show when the world blow up, or till the world blow up, uh, it's his one man show. It is absolutely incredible. Uh, oh, don't God. let him. Don't let him be humble about this. Oh God. Okay. Look. It's. It. Look. We're we're workshopping it. Okay. <laughs> no. No. Seriously. I'm having. I'm oh, having really? this. 
I'm uh, my boy, my boy Marcus, who have direct, who helped direct Community. He and I are going to get together. We're going to have a sit down Ooh. performance of it in my house oh. and invite people from the community. Uh. So we are workshopping it to make it, <laughs> you know, what it should have been when it got written. It, it, um, it was great as it was, so it can only get better. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but going back yes. to this point. <laughs> but yes, um, it was always, like I said, my goal to make something that was bigger than me, mm-hmm. that was more important than just what my small story was. Yeah. And yes, like I said, my story is included in this because I can't get away from something without yeah. touching it with my life. You're an artist. Um, it's a part of you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But as I researched and as we dove deep into, you know, finding these people that had these stories, there were just some that just immediately stood out Mm -hmm. and meant more to the process of what the show was and 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 were dearly and crucially important in order to be a piece that was rooted in relatability Mm -hmm. and the idea that we are much more the same than different. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it always seems like, and Robbie, you said this last episode mm-hmm. and it hit me so hard because I was in the middle of callbacks for the show. Mm. You said, we always have these events that happen in history where this big thing happens and then we all come together and then all of a sudden there's this trickle effect of us all just falling apart again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, needless to say, 9-11 Mm-hmm. was one of those times mm-hmm. i have never seen people have each other's backs in the way that they did that bear in mind this was the time that um a rudy giuliani was still was, the yep. mayor or governor mayor mayor, mayor yep. of new york mm-hmm. and b new york became the nicest city in america <laughs> which never happened which has never <laughs> happened since um you know, like, like, like it, it, it took, it took something this monumental for mm-hmm. that kind of shift to happen that has never occurred since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but even in making that very small funny, it is still very apparent how impacting this event was not just for the city of New York in its own way, because mm-hmm. the skyline will never look the same again. Yeah. But how the stories of individuals who went through this tragedy in person and you know at a distance have shifted and changed the trajectory of what that event meant Mm -hmm. um and and what events going forward within this nation meant again that i i have never seen america as united as it was when that happened yep like even right now, we've had this whole pandemic where we were all stuck indoors, mm-hmm. and while some people are ha- have been coming together and you know calling out the BS when they see it, mm-hmm. there are still radical pockets mm-hmm. that exist in this nation. Yep. All because of you know you know who. Yep. I ain't gonna say that name. Politicizing things that they shouldn't be. That name doesn't have. deserve airtime. No, nope. um, <laughs> but that 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 time was so crucial. Mm-hmm. It was so crucial for um, America, but it was also crucial in my development as a creator mm-hmm. because I knew there had to be something to document mm-hmm. this thing. That is that is that is what our charge is as artists to mm-hmm. be. You know, individuals that talk about the things that everyone else is afraid to talk about, mm-hmm. is afraid to touch. So 
that's kind of that's kind of where that happened. That's kind of <laughs> how that came together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And as so, scary as it was. <laughs> so Darius and I did some prep for this uh, for for the podcast, and uh, without without a beat, he hit every single one of my questions before I got them out. <laughs> <laughs> Which and is, I wasn't even, yeah, uh, and wasn't even looking at your questions. I yeah. wasn't even looking. <laughs> I just started talking. Um, yeah. And like that, and that's what that's what we want is what I get to see that uh, y'all have not experienced yet is the selflessness and the drive that comes out of Darius. And it is when when y'all get a chance to see, hear, and experience this play that he's written. It's it's very much apparent there. Like, not any one of these voices is him, but at the same time, they come from him. Like, they're very much real people. Like, even... Uh, so, I, I, my character is... I, I play a first responder who was, in, who was there on the day, uh, which is very meaningful to me uh, because I have watched and followed uh, Jon Stewart as he has worked fighting this last decade to make sure that first responders still get their health benefits from 9-11, post 9-11, because there were a lot of, there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of funds that were just being held up by Congress. And he has been on the front line there with other, other people trying to make sure that this happens. And so that's a, it's a story that I've held close to my heart, close to my mind. And so being able to speak through this character uh, has been an incredibly impactful experience, uh, which kind of goes to one of the questions I was going to ask that I think you've kind of answered mm. was uh, that each character in the script has an incredibly unique voice mm. that is not a single person, but at the same time could apply, could be anyone in America. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Like, how did you find the voices for the characters? Um, for me, it was a thing of listening honestly because like i said we 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 did tons of interviews and of course some people were really like i I think i I said this earlier some people were very much willing to you know dive deep and share their experience and share what they were and other people were very much like one liner one line here you know i'm just gonna let it be as an as any interview process would be Mm -hmm. but for me it became a thing of a I wanted to represent all voices and not just the majority, mm-hmm. which is something that anybody else would have done mm-hmm. if they had put this piece together. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking, you know, early 2000s, where the most diverse show on Broadway was Rent. Yep. You know, so being that that's where we were mm-hmm. and that's all we were focused on at that point, I knew that when it came to telling stories of impact, mm-hmm. especially a, especially in a piece that was supposed to reflect the ideals of what America is supposed to be or what America says it is on paper, mm-hmm. it was essential that every single angle of this situation was examined mm-hmm. and given credence to speak. And, and it that and funny enough, it kind of reflects where we are today. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in a deep, dark situation, there's always somebody who gets the root of the blame. There's always somebody who's 
crying out to be heard. Yeah. There's always somebody who feels more hurt than others. There's always, you know, somebody that's trying to cover up their pain by, you know, displaying other emotions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that just throw it all off and act like they don't care at all. Mm-hmm. And all of these voices, all of these descriptors, descript, descriptors that I just gave are specific voices that show up in the production itself. Yeah. You know, of course we meet the we meet your character Paul who is the ground zero firefighter who's like there on the scene and gives the most touching deep dive into what it meant to be a part of that experience. And we could only get that by interviewing several mm-hmm. ground zero firefighters. Most of your words came from a captain in in New York, mm-hmm. but a great deal of them came from other people surrounding the situation. Yeah. So, of course, that story had to be told. Mm -hmm. That was a necessary story in the course of what this show represented. But a teenager in Chicago, Illinois, Mm -hmm. not just that, a black teenager in Chicago, Illinois, who was going to give any room to that individual to speak their truth, especially if their truth is... Uh, yo, I don't understand anything about this, but what I do know is that because of this, my family's getting taken away from me. Every single male I know is getting taken back or put or pulled back into the service, and now they're not here to be here for me when I need them most. Mm-hmm. You know, affected, but affected differently. Mm-hmm. We, we we have the story of uh, uh, Bethany. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to give woman- him too much, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to give him everything. We have the story of Bethany, who goes through her own situation that is very much, in its delivery, comedic. Mm-hmm. It can be very comedic, but it's still rooted in the experience of what it means to have been connected to this event, but in a very, very different way. Mm-hmm. Th- th- this is one I have to speak about. Mm-hmm. During the time that the events happened, everyone took it upon themselves, especially the majority in America. Mm-hmm. Um, they took it upon themselves to be very, very nasty mm-hmm. when it came to individuals from Middle Eastern countries. Yep. Islamophobia was at its height. When it came to individuals that, you know, were in any way, shape, or form a small reminder of the individuals who took these, you know, these events into motion. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if they weren't from the same countries, if they had an accent, Mm -hmm. folks were being rude. Yep. You saw it everywhere. Yep. But then to think about how here we are today in the middle of this pandemic and because one stupid fool mm-hmm. called the virus the, the China virus, the China virus, we have a whole new hashtag called Stop Asian Hate. Yep. We got to protect our brothers and sisters because some idiot decided that they were going to to be xenophobic about this and put a label on it. And so the cycle continues. And, and yes, and the cycle continues. So. For, for me, it was a thing of giving everybody the room to be justified in their standing. For me, it was a thing of making sure that if I put this piece out, it didn't, le- it didn't lean heavily to one side. Mm-hmm. 
it didn't lean on honestly any political jargon because mm-hmm. I did I that I did not care about in the course of this I did that didn't matter. Yep. What mattered in creating this piece was the humanity of it. Yep. The, the 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 real individuals that do exist that were willing to tell their stories in the way that they were to give room for new stories to be created as uh, through all of their words. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm 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 not secretive about it. There are four composite characters, as in characters that were created using all of these voices, mm-hmm. and there are four completely original voices in their own way. And and when I say original, I mean that they have been influenced by certain individuals who've been interviewed. Mm-hmm. They've been influenced by stories that have been told. They've been influenced by the idea of these are people that exist in the world and need to be heard. Yeah. The little girl in the show. We didn't interview five-year-olds and ask them <laughs> what their experience was on 9-11 because guess what? Their parents would have been like, get, get the hell away from my child. Go, mm-hmm. go, get, go, go and get somewhere. Yep. You know, you can't do that. But I could think about every child I've ever taught as a writer and understand what it means to have your your your, your dreams crushed in a way because of an event that you don't understand nor will you ever have the capacity as a five-year-old to mm. understand yep um so yes I mean there are there are there there are many different angles that this show approaches um, but again, um, it, it, it all it all comes together within one basic ideal, which I said earlier. Um, we are much more the same than we are different. There will be something that you will hear from every individual in this show, and you'll be like, mm, I actually agree with that. Yeah. But th- but I'm certain that some people will say some things and be like, ugh, no, cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. That, and, and, and that's going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's going to be different for every single person. So it definitely is a piece where you'll be able to have a conversation afterwards. And, you know, I wanted it, like I said, to be something that you can walk away with, with a sense of catharsis, mm-hmm. um, with a sense of, you know, remembrance in your own way. Um, definitely, it's, it's definitely a piece of reflection because everybody has their story. Mm-hmm. Everybody has something that connects them to this day. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's that, that, that that's why that's why there are as many voices because it is a reflection of America in 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 its deepest deepest form as or at least as as deeply as I could go with the material I had at the age I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that answers my my last question, which was uh, what was your end goal with the piece? Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, it's a, it's a thing to bring us all together. Yeah, and this is this is a time where it being the twenty year. And the 20th anniversary of its occurrence in this time of great division that we're we're working through, um, I do think it's it's very important, very prescient that this is out there. Um, yes. I, now, 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 I you've I've answered all my questions, mm-hmm. but I definitely have to approach you now because <laughs> as 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 Robbie stated earlier, he is one of the actors within this piece Mm -hmm. and um honestly when you told me your story in rehearsal it was the first time i had actually heard your story Mm. and i'm always after you know after doing this process i'm always deeply compelled to hear what everybody's you know where they were like what was Mm -hmm. happening in your life when 
this happened. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, uh, mm-hmm. would you be willing to share that? Yeah, with sure. The people. Um, so for everyone listening, um, I don't think I've mentioned this on a podcast before. I was part of a military family growing up. My father uh, is a he actually just recently retired uh, about two years ago. 31 years of service in the the U.S. Navy. Wow. Constantly on tour. So every two to three years, we were moving around to someplace new. Um, And I'm the oldest of seven kids. So a lot of having to grow up quick. Um, So anytime my dad would go on tour, uh, one of the things that he would say to me was, you're the man of the house. Help out your mother. Watch out for your brothers and sisters. You have each other. Um, And that's always been kind of the constant growing up. Uh, so in 2001, we were in Kings Bay, Georgia. There's a Navy, Navy base down there. And we were going to school off of the base uh, in St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. And so we arrived at school, day like any other day, hot Georgia fall. So bugs everywhere. Everyone's uncomfortable. We're all sweating. Right. It's 8.30 a.m. and we're, we're already dying of heat stroke. Uh, but we're in class getting ready. And then, just like in your experience, Darius, someone rolled a cart into our classroom. Mm. And we could hear out in the hallway a bunch of other carts. So these, it was just like a flood of carts going into all the different classrooms with the TV on. Uh, so they turn it on. They're like, hey, one of the, the towers has been hit in New York. And I was a dumb kid. I was 13 years old at the time. So I didn't know what the World Trade Center was. I didn't know what the Twin Towers were. Despite being well-traveled, I wasn't really worldly about it um like i knew about the places i lived i didn't know about anything else and so to me i was just like oh this is this is dire but i don't know why and about five minutes after once they get the tv hooked up the news is on we see the first tower it has been hit the second one not yet uh but we get a call to our classroom from the principal's office and i get called down i was trying to figure out why i get there my brother is there my sister is there and we're just like, okay, why are we here? Turns out we we're being picked up by a family friend uh, mm. because the Navy base had gone on lockdown and my father was at work, so he couldn't get out. My mother was on the base, which is where we were living at the time, so she couldn't get off base. And so my dad had called in a family friend to pick us up and take us, uh, take us over to their place where we watched the, as the second tower was hit. And that's when it finally hit. It all set in uh, when my uh, friend's mother let me know. It's like, oh, these. This is where uh, a lot of policy, a lot of meeting ha- meetings happen uh, with U.S. foreign affairs. And I was like, oh. And she's like, yeah, it's in New York City. And that's when the light bulb clicked. And I was like, oh, someone's attacking us here. Like, it's not. Mm. It's no longer. The, the, the propaganda that's been built into my brain of, hey, we're going over to other countries to help. We're going over to liberate. We're going over to change. Uh, it is now someone is bringing the pain to us. Hmm. What do we do now? Uh, and so once that set in, I was like, OK, uh, I guess we're just waiting here for for all of that to, to blow over. And then uh, we get news about the Pentagon and the plane. Yeah. had Yeah headed that way so it was it went very quickly from being disconnected me being aloof to not understanding because i was 13 to oh this is real 
Yeah. I honestly don't know what to do about this. And it's affected us ever since. Like you said earlier, all of a sudden the country became united. We all had a common enemy. Enlistment was at an all-time high. Everyone mm-hmm. felt like they needed to do their part. And we sent troops out. That was the time of <laughs> uh, of Toby Keith oh, really kicking into gear when he, he put out... Uh, and I only know this because I lived in Georgia and... My white friends were just like, Robbie, I got this thing for you to listen to. He had a song called Whiskey for My Men, Beer for My Horses. Oh, Lord. <laughs> With Willie Nelson. Oh, Lord. Uh, and then he had it. Uh, gosh, I think it was that song. It was Justice is the One Thing You'll Always Find. We got to saddle up, boys. We got to draw a hard line. When the gun smoke settles, we'll sing a victory tune as we all head back to the local saloon. Uh, and one of the, on that same album, it might have been that song. Uh, <laughs> he's talking about Bin Laden, and he says, "We'll put a boot in your ass." That's the American way. Oh was, my god! Yeah. Uh, it was a time of radical patriotism. Uh-huh. Uh But unfortunately, as you mentioned earlier, it was a time of radical Islamophobia. Yes. Where there's always a scapegoat for some reason. That's how everyone gets radicalized. Mm. Is we need this other to be our common enemy. Like yeah. we see it in fiction all the time, like in the Watchmen when Ozymandias decides I'm going to blow up humans, blame it on aliens. And then that's the, your common enemy. Right. Uh, <laughs> in the X-Men, which is going to come up eventually again on Bamcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I know it will because I love it. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of allegories to life. Yeah. To real life. Uh, when a, a mutant virus is created, uh, that infects humans, but it's created by humans to give them a common enemy in mutants. Right. To, to yeah, uh, right. And so that Islam Islamophobia never really went away. Like it was already here, but at that moment in time, it was like boom. Now it's really out in the open. Mm-hmm. Now I got a reason. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and while a lot of us spent a lot of time unlearning that, trying to get along with our our uh, Muslim brothers and sisters. Now we've got the last couple of years bringing forth, uh, bringing back to light the anti-blackness that we deal with every day. Yep. Um, and now we're seeing the breakdown of the model minority myth right. where our Asian brothers and sisters, and that includes South Asian and Southeast Asian, mm-hmm. are experiencing this pain that we, that we experience. Exactly. And so... Uh, the. Our Native American brothers and sisters already know it all too well, too. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, especially being in the middle of the, you know, historic, um, um, I don't even know how to word what's happening right that, right now with their community. They, it's a reckoning for sure. It, uh, yeah. Of, in, in many ways. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm, first off, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your experience. Because, again, like when when we all were talking about it in our rehearsal, it was the first time I'd heard you speak about this, and I was, I was, just completely rocked because I was like, I've never heard him talk about this, and we've been friends for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know me, I'm open book. If you ask me anything, I will give you an answer. Yeah. Oh, oh that, oh, that I know. <laughs> Oh, that I know. Um, so, so, so now I have to ask you this question mm-hmm. to follow up um, your personal experience on nine eleven. Mm-hmm. 
as a self-identified military child, <laughs> you know, someone whose father, as you said, was in it for 31 years, mm-hmm. always on a tour. Yep. And, you know, having to move around and do the things you did and then dealing with that experience the way you did and learning about all of those things on that day as you did. Mm -hmm. What does it feel like now playing Paul in this production, um, having lived through and been, you know, through the experiences you've had? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a really good question. So a lot of that experience of being a military child was having to grow up faster um, in a lot of ways. Um, I had to learn to adapt to new situations constantly, mm-hmm. uh, learn new people, figure out who I could trust very quickly, who who was worth keeping, who wasn't, and at the same time learn to cope with with loss and fear and paranoia with my father always being away. He was actually deployed in Iraq back when that was when that war was going on uh served two tours there uh so that was always really painful because we were in high school he wasn't at home except maybe I think it was twice a year so a lot of the time it was just like he actually wouldn't let us watch the news Mm. because if something had happened to him he didn't want us worrying about that wow until that news got to us Wow. So there was a lot of news that we weren't allowed to watch then. But all of that kind of built up this learning to cope with it, with the feelings of helplessness, of hopelessness, of loss, that I think I was able to connect with Paul in a way as a result. Uh, because as you said, Paul is an amalgamation of multiple first responders, mostly based off of one, but he is many. Right. And one of the things that it's helped me uh, that that constant moving around, that forced being forced to grow up, that that trauma, like feeding that into him and finding that common ground of letting myself relive kind of like that shock of uh, the news when I was 13 of that going from aloof to real, as we'll talk about, as we'll probably come up at some point. A few years ago, I was shot um, through the spine. So going through the recovery process and the trauma of that, feeding that into Paul as well, being able to say, to to see um, old memories and things so vividly and experience them. And what's really clear with the writing of Paul, what I really like is something that you do that is, is fed into Paul is very much his feelings are with other people. Like his... He doesn't care about his trauma so much as it is all of these people were lost. My heart yeah. is with their families. My pain is with them. Yeah. I experience it, but that's where my mind is. And so in that way, Paul feels like he's a part of you and 100% is right there in line with me. Where when I get hurt, my thoughts aren't, oh, poor me, or I'm, I wonder what I'm going to do. My brain is always like, how is this going to affect everyone around me? How do we, how do I make this transition as easy for them as possible? Because I know I have the muscle to get through. I've got the fortitude to get through. How do I help them get through too? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is the heart and soul of who you are as an individual, kind of honestly. Like when I tell y'all that this is one of the dearest 
and most amazing friends I've ever had in life. And I can't imagine myself doing this podcast or having these conversations with anybody else. I mean that he has watched me before he, before he found himself, you know, in the situation that he currently deals with regularly. He has watched me go through hell and back in many, many different ways. And having anybody that stands by you in the way that he does, huh? Ah, let me be careful before I start crying. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's the realest and truest form of friendship. But it, that is why when this production was coming up and I was looking at all of the roles that were available, I knew, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that you had to read Paul. I knew you had to read Paul. And, 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 and it was primarily because of what you just expressed. Paul is somebody who stands for everybody. Hmm. He's somebody who stands for everybody. And when they can't stand for themselves, he stands up in their stead. Paul's story is rooted in the idea of all of these people have been lost. And now because of all of the conspiracy theories that have come about, mm-hmm. I have to debunk for them yeah. because they aren't here to debunk for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and it's, it's like I said, look y'all, y'all need to see it. <laughs> y'all just need to see it because it's outstanding watching Robbie work through those emotions and apply so much of him into Paul's story. It is, in so many words, it's spellbinding. <laughs> I am I am spellbound by you, Robbie. <laughs> he knows why I said that. Um, <laughs> oh man. Oh, what? Well, I mean, I I I kind of got this answer, mm-hmm. but I still want to, I guess, generally ask it in case there's something that we've missed. Um, and and that question becomes: since you're now a part of this, and you know you've you've given so much of yourself to it, um. Mm-hmm in the way that you have, you know, identifying with Paul and his story. What has being a part of it given you? What have you gotten out of being a part of going through this experience as both an actor and a board member of BAM? Because Mm -hmm. you do hold two positions, you know, that are, in my opinion, critically important to the continuing development. So Mm -hmm. what is being in the position you're in with this production, this reading, given you i think definitely as an actor like first and foremost it's it's given me the chance to get back out there again Mm. Mm. for those of you listening uh i haven't gotten back onto stage as an actor since i was shot a few years ago uh the it's really difficult right now because what i would do mainly was stage acting and at least as of recently was mostly musical theater which is not super accessible, as right. most of you can probably imagine. You can't really tap dance in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a thing you really do. So, but I've, I've I've always had the itch to get back to plays and to to reading, and so first and foremost, it was a chance to get back in back into the swing of things. As I think also as an actor, one of the big things it allowed me to do was work through not only my process as an actor, but as a person. As I mentioned earlier, he felt like a part of me before like we even started rehearsals. Like as I read through his monologue, I was like, this is, this feels like it's just me. This is, this. Mm. there's something deep in here 
that is just me. It is everything that I want to be and everything I want to do as uh, as a person. Like that's the personality I was getting from the reading. And so it was a chance to naturally get back into the acting process. Like it feels almost seamless. Uh, as a board member, I love, as you know, near and dear to my heart, representation is what I care about the most. Yeah. Um, because growing up, as part of being a, a, being part of a military family, I was pushed towards doing something for other people. It was a big thing. It was um, my my dad is very big on helping people and being part of the community. Uh, but at the same time, I was I never really got a chance to explore what I liked to do, and so. All of my representation that I'd seen mostly growing up was my dad in the military, his friends who were engineers in the military. So I went to school for engineering. I didn't find out that I liked acting or if that was even a possibility until I was in high school. And then I really started to look back on who like represented me. Who did I who did I look up to as actors? And so I went back into my childhood. People are gonna laugh at me about this first one. So on the Latin okay. side. Okay. John Leguizamo. Why would we laugh at you? <laughs> because people like to dog on him all the time. If you gonna dog on John Leguizamo, you gotta come for me. Because <laughs> there there are not many actors who are as versatile mm -hmm. and who are as like stellarly driven mm -hmm. within the work that they do as John Leguizamo. Like yeah. John Leguizamo is a legend yep. by his own right. And people that don't acknowledge that are idiots. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I said it. Get over yourself. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Yes, yeah. John Leguizamo. So, like on the on the the Latin side, because I'm half Mexican, which he's not. He's he's Puerto Rican. Uh, mm -hmm. But like that's that's who I looked up to there. Right. And then on the black side, I was like, well, what did I watch growing up? And I thought back to like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, was mm -hmm. a big one. I loved that. Absolutely, just could not get enough of it. I was a little too young for Cosby Show, so I didn't really get a lot of that. I got a little bit of Family Matters. But what really, really got me with the acting bug was seeing Wayne Brady, seeing him perform mm -hmm. and how multifaceted he was, Yeah. Um, which is why I love improv so much uh, and why I haven't done it in a long time. But when I do it, I take it seriously. And I don't try to be funny because like everybody's seen a lot of bad improv and that normally stems from people trying to be funny. Trying. Right. Exactly. Yep. Instead of allowing the funny to happen. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so like that's that's a big thing is with BAM, I get to help facilitate representation. I get to help like even if it's not on the front lines like with you and, and some of the other talent that we have, we get to show black and, and, and other POC uh, brothers and sisters, we're out here. Yeah. This is an avenue for you. Like we know that Broadway isn't accessible because money. So right. one of the things that we can help facilitate is let's put the talent out there let's teach the kids that we can do this that we that we're capable and then we bring broadway to each other we bring broadway yes. to ourselves and we'll make things that are better than broadway like Absolutely. that doesn't need to be the marker anymore that is just some for lack of better term uh old white socialite bullshit <laughs> we need to get Follow ourselves back is. on yeah yeah Honestly, you know, that that's the thing about BAM. Anybody that I know who has worked on what they call the Great White Way, and you know, they and what's funny is that they call it that not because of race, mm -hmm. but because 
back in the day mm-hmm. when you saw Broadway, mm-hmm. you knew it was Broadway because the lights would make it seem like it was daytime. Mm. That's why they call it that. But <laughs> it's interesting how mm. that name automatically fares in favor <laughs> of exactly how they've been representing throughout yeah. time. So even though, you know, everybody has this dream of being there and making it there, especially within performance, within theater, um, it's it's become a factory. Mm-hmm. Like every other industry, you get in, you're fit into this situation, and we have to churn out this product. Mm-hmm. You know, th- nowadays the musical, the musical genre is just this product-driven mm-hmm. facet of Broadway. Plays don't even they exist, but mm-hmm. you wouldn't know they exist. Nope. Um, and 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 honestly, everybody you know who works on. Broadway says the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you do a play, you're not going to make any money. I mean, yep. just not. And, and, and I don't mean that as an actor, but I mean as like the mm-hmm. people that produce the show. Yep. If you do a play, you're not going to make any money. That's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. You're not going to recoup that yep. because it's a play. Yeah. Who's coming to see a play? Which is sad in its own way because a lot of the truest and realest and grittiest storytelling happens in plays. Yep. Musicals can never touch what a script writer, a true real script writer mm-hmm. can do with a play yeah musicals are meant to entertain mm-hmm. plays are meant to touch the spirit yeah That's um if you can do that. both then hey great but knowing what it is that we represent i i love how you put it we have to bring the broadway to us mm-hmm. that feeling that everybody gets about wanting to be there and having been there in whatever facet they have been we have to be able to instill that and find that within ourselves. We are these professionals. We are representative markers of individuals who will shine a beacon for other people to follow. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, the goal here. And 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 not just through our performances on stage, because everybody can shuck and jive a little bit if they need to, but through everything that we touch in excellence, because that's how we represent ourselves mm-hmm. in excellence. Excellence in sound design, excellence in lighting craft, excellence in costuming, excellence in set design, excellence being an usher. I don't care what it is that you do Mm -hmm. in that building or in that facility or in that environment, as long as you are approaching it with a spirit of excellence. Mm -hmm. And not just that, but I think the most important thing is being able to teach these youth Mm -hmm. that there will not always be a job on somebody's stage. Yeah. Actors have a 97% unemployment rate. I mm-hmm. may be getting those numbers wrong. It may have shifted in time. I don't know. But last time I checked, that was the number. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are unionized actors. Mm-hmm. That's not even, you know, us non-equity um, folk that have been doing it outside of that system. Mm-hmm. But within that unemployment rate, you already see that, you know, the same people get hired for the same stuff. And if you're lucky, you might get a good party. You may not ever be seen again. Mm-hmm. But somebody will always need someone to focus a light. Yep. Someone will always need somebody who knows how to design a set. Mm-hmm. Somebody will always need somebody backstage running crew. And guess what? You can be unionized and paid well mm-hmm. for moving a set piece. Yep. 
there are other jobs and other situations that you can place yourself into without having to be in this spotlight. Mm -hmm. In fact, if those lights don't come on, the show doesn't happen. So you are just as important as anybody else that's involved in this process. Mm -hmm. And that is why I'm glad that, you know, us as BAM, we've taken this approach to teach them what it means to have a full rounded theatrical experience and not just focus on oh i could be famous tomorrow Mm -hmm. you know in this in this instagram tiktok world that we live in um Mm -hmm. i'm glad that you know we have formed this team of individuals where we're bringing more Mm -hmm. than just the typical yep and i'm very excited especially because not only do i get to wear my director's hat but i get to you know have this writer's hat on for so many different things like a look through our eyes and a lot of the other stuff that we have coming up. So now it's time to do the plug. (laughs) Here we go. All right. So everybody, 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 please make it your business to find yourself at some computer somewhere in the world connected to some good interweb on the weekend of Patriot Weekend, September 10th through the 12th. Mm. Again, September 10th through the 12th. You will not want to miss the experience that is a look through our eyes, an experimental production about citizens' views, struggles, and experiences and reactions to 9-11. We have an amazing cast of individuals who is going to give you some of the best storytelling anywhere, anywhere. Um, and those individuals are Todd Lewis, Julian Trey Robinson, who we are introducing. Mm-hmm. This is a youth that I taught in a couple of classes and he auditioned and he's ready, y'all. So uh, Julian Trey Robinson, Stephanie Mole, of course, the great Robbie Lee Williams the third, <laughs> uh, Micah J. Hazel, Bree Edgerton, mm-hmm. and Cal Kreiner. Mm-hmm. These are individuals that are not just in West Michigan. They are across the nation. We got folks in Virginia, folks in Chicago, folks here in West Michigan, and folks that definitely are traveling between all of these places to do all of the things. So you don't want to miss this experience. Tickets are five dollars. Mm-hmm. You 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 can you can buy what with five dollars? Hardly anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the only place I know where you can get a meal for five dollars was Steak and Shake with their <laughs> four for four meals. And Steak and Shakes are closing, y'all. Um, so <laughs> get your five dollars. Mm-hmm. Donate to this amazing organization because it's only through our community supporting us that we can even fathom being able to do some of the things that we've talked about in this podcast today yeah and definitely if you see anything on social media talking about this piece we ask that you share it Mm -hmm. share it with your friends share it with your family if you know somebody who is directly affected by these events and know that these stories would be helpful mm-hmm. or cathartic for them, then please bring them into the fold. It is our duty as artists to ensure that we reach the human spirit, 
That is our duty. That is our charge. We take our charge oh so seriously. Mm -hmm. And we want not only to be impacting in the work that we do, but we want to be impacting in the lives that we touch. Mm. It is crucially important that we do that through this work. So please come support us. Go to bamtalent.org. Find out more about the production. Find out more about these amazing actors. There will be a lot of other social media stuff about them very <laughs> soon. We, we, we busy around here, y'all. We real busy. But please, please, please uh, make your way to bamtalent.org. Uh, look out for the production donate to the organization if you have it within your power to do so uh, make sure that you subscribe so that you are aware of everything that we have coming up because even if a look through our eyes isn't your cup of tea oh i guarantee you there will be something else <laughs> within the next couple of weeks months that that, that is definitely going to strike a chord with you that being said, I think we've done what we came here to do, and I and and and, and I think we've done it well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> uh, anything you'd like to say to the people? Anything left? Uh, no, just that they need to get there. Yes, get there. You, I don't care how you. You can reach me by caravan, <laughs> cross the desert like an Arab man. <laughs> I don't care how you get there. Meet me in a big balloon, <laughs> but you better get there soon, as soon as September 10th through the 12th. <laughs> uh, that being said, here we are at the end of another Bamcast. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for supporting Black Arts, and um, please continue to support us because next week. Or next week, we will be back mm -hmm. diving back into the Black Arts Movement and all that it means, not just for the culture, but for us as BAM talent, as well as the BAM cast. Mm. So that being said, as we say at the end of every podcast, I, mm. <clears throat> is this on? <laughs> okay. What do we come from, Robbie? Greatness. Yes, sir. <laughs> and we must share that greatness with the entire world. We will see you next week, folks. Bye, everyone. Peace. BAMcast, the Black Art Matters podcast, is a creation of Darius Colquitt and Company for the benefit of BAM Talent. To find out more about BAM Talent, visit their website at www.bamtalent.org. <laughs>